Jurassic Park 3 Minute, we'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back to finish out the week with 63 of Jurassic Park 3. But before we get to that, and we will be brief, <laughs> David, you've got some new things. <laughs> I did, I did. I, um, I ordered, and I think I remember mentioning this, I ordered the uh, W Dragon Spinosaurus, so that finally came in, and it looks fantastic. Like, I've seen I mean, the photo you I've seen the photo you posted up with the uh, the green T Rex and it does look amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty big too. I mean it's bigger than a T Rex. <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's in this movie. But anyway, um the coloration is really cool because you like can stick it into like uh, sunlight and you'll see all these colors light up in it. But if you stick it under like a yellow, say incandescent light bulb, it just turns gray it just turns like flat, kind of brownish. Which is funny because that's something that this actually happens in the course of Jurassic Park three, where somewhere, um, for example, when we see the Spinosaurus um, in say the um, lighting pre-filter from uh, the night scenes that they do, and the stage lights uh, kind of make the animatronic look like a flat brown, but when we see it during the T-Rex versus Spinosaurus behind the scenes pictures, you can plainly see those colors because they have the sunlight filtering through the hatch in the um, studio. So it's very well painted because it kind of creates the same exact effect that they had going on in the Spinosaurus, uh, on the actual Spinosaurus. You're kind of speechless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was just looking on eBay to see if I could find it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you we'll to, we'll, yeah, we'll have to talk, uh, especially since um, I don't know if I'll ever get the uh, the Mattel version. I just got the Mattel version thanks to a link from a friend of mine. That one did actually come through. The I think I mentioned it, but I don't think I ever said that I actually got it uh, when we were talking with Jay. That one, I, it did actually come, so oh, it wow. worked out. It was only forty five uh, US dollar. And I'm very thankful that it went through. Mm. Shipping actually yeah. was free, too. I don't know why, but it was. And the shipping was, like I said, the communication was not existent. But it came in one piece, and I'm very happy. Wow. <laughs> very lucky <laughs> for that to happen. I'll see if I, the link is still active, and I'll send it to you if it is. Yeah, I'm sure I'll go and I'll go and try and do it, and I'll come up with uh, sorry we don't ship internationally or ship to Australia or something. Well, it did ship internationally because it said it was coming from the United Kingdom. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and the other big score that I got this week was this one's kind of special because it's kind of rare right now. Is the Mattel a, a Comic Con exclusive? Uh, John Hammond. Hmm. Yeah, and this we're going to revisit this subject in the next uh, Jurassic Minutes um, because Entertainment Earth have since announced they're uh, doing pre-orders for, mm-hmm. from all I read, the exact same figure, including the packaging. So it's uh, they've got up for pre-order for $25 US, which mm-hmm. is uh, is amazing, and I do hope that it continues and we do get, get it come out. But um, David, you've guaranteed got one now. <laughs> it's in hand. I do, and it's... Feel? It's awesome. It's so cool. I mean, you the packaging is cool because it's got the Jurassic Park gates as we've seen with the little T-Rex logo over the over the actual doors themselves and the doors flip open and you see him in there and he's got his cane next to him with um the baby raptor coming out of the egg on the incubator. 
It's mm-hmm. so cool. I don't think I'm taking it out of the package. I'm gonna. I'm. Oh, I always <laughs> take my toys out of the package. This one's staying in the package. <laughs> yeah, I'll just just wait and see what happens with the uh, Entertainment Earth one. Maybe you can get a second one for twenty five yeah. bucks. And, if I can and get a second it. one, if I can get a second one, I'll take that one out of the package. But I don't know. This one, I took the uh, the Mosasaurus out of the package. The um, the little one from the first Jurassic World line. Mm-hmm. And now those sell for like two hundred dollars in box, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know. Well, we've complained. Oh, we've talked a lot about that that original Hasbro yeah. and Dominus Rex too, and it's it's the same. Although I don't think I've seen the Rex <laughs> commanding such a high price, and it's probably a good thing. That thing is horrible. <laughs> yeah, the thing with it. I just <laughs> all of my Mattel dinosaur toys. All of them. It's, I think the only thing I have left is the is the uh, motorcycle for Owen. Mm, yeah. Mine's here looking at me now with that gumpy bottom jaw. <laughs> I just want to use this target practice. <laughs> and just briefly, too, I should mention for uh, any listeners in Australia, which I don't I'd have to check the analytics to see if there is, but uh, Kmart and Big W here have confirmed that we'll be getting the Brachiosaur in December, so it'll be arriving here just before Christmas. Luckily, I'm not sure what numbers there might be two per store or something stupid like that but be on the lookout for that and the uh one of the indominus figures as well is coming over here but i thought that was great that mattel were able to confirm that kind of burying the lead there i've got to go on a tangent you guys still have kmart yeah oh my god i loved kmart ours closed years ago i loved kmart i got so much of my jurassic park 3 toys there It's sort of Sears, they've done a, Sears in general is just gone. What? Yeah, they've done a bit of a rebranding or sort of went for a lot of. Um, I could only really compare it to maybe like Walmart, where you can buy a lot of crap for cheap, <laughs> um, like a lot there of homewares. Yeah, yeah, a lot of homewares and that here. All the uh, all sort of the clothing and that was all sort of mm-hmm. a lot cheaper stuff. Yeah, I, so. I I actually found a flannel shirt there, and it was like the crappiest flannel shirt I ever bought because it ripped like right away. But it was as close to the Alan Grant dig site flannel that I've ever seen anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could find that again because I would buy it. Yeah, yeah. And one of the worst things too, Kmart and even Target, they're uh, they're doing a lot of a lot of Jurassic addressing prints on kids shirts a lot of uh sort of original Jurassic trilogy stuff on kids shirts mm-hmm. and sometimes one out of every 20 design they made so oh we'll just make this one an adult size <laughs> where a lot of a lot of collectors over here are wishing they either had children or were children's size so they can have these shirts <laughs> to, to wear around that's kind of how it is with Coles here i mean there's so much Jurassic stuff just printed on all kinds of kids shirts but you might you might see like yeah like you said one out of every twenty design ends up in adult sizes. Yeah, it's our money, damn it! We're the ones buying it. Throws <laughs> <laughs> a bone. Yeah, exactly. Nothing to worry about, sir. It's gonna be a walk in the park. Heading over to Jurassic-Pedia.com briefly, uh, David. We've got an article here which is a little bit of an older one, but the uh, helipad compound from Isla Nublar. It's one of those locations, and we've got a little write-up here about uh, the location and that, and um, how it was the uh, the main main access point 
main the gateway to Nublar really for uh, mm-hmm. visitors that we see in the film and it's something the Jurassic Falls is still there um, of course the uh, the helipad itself was had needed to be removed after filming that but um, well the helipad itself probably evaporated long uh, not soon while they were filming because the helipad that they used they had to actually keep redoing because it was just painted it was just painted <laughs> plywood and they kept washing away into the pool there Mm. Well, anyone that was following Real News Hawaii over the uh, Jurassic World filming scene, how quickly that Indominus Rex set deteriorated. Yeah. The paint falling off it and timber warping yeah, just because of the tropics. Well, it's also because, I mean, all you had is the tropics and things rot very fast in the tropics, but it was plywood and plaster. They didn't build that to last at all. You know, mm. it's, it was built to survive the duration of the filming and that's it. But yeah, like the, the, the locations for filming still there. If it was the um, the main ingress point of Nublar for the original film, um, obviously it all changed when Jurassic World came around. But if we're going to see a couple of these locations one last time before the uh, volcano went off, I think this is something that they could have really easily done. Mm-hmm. Return to the area, even if you had the damaged helipad there. I think that a lot of fans wanted it like a montage of the volcano just destroying the island. Mm, So I know a lot of fans talked about seeing a montage of just places that have been, that we've seen of the island, like say the visitor center covered in weeds, getting, getting blasted with lava and the helipad and the lava just blowing out of the mountainside and, extinguishing that water you know yeah yeah we'll spare and especially now um there's been an interview of colin which we'll get to in the next uh, minutes episode as well where he said how the third film's going to be a celebration of everything that's come before and it's hard to uh hard to take that seriously when you've pretty much destroyed <laughs> everything that's come before so apart from some of the uh original cast um I think that's what he means. He's going to try to get as many, much of the original cast back together as he can, you know, save, yeah. of course, for um, for Samuel L. Jackson, whose character is dead, and <laughs> Richard Attenborough, who himself is dead, unfortunately. Well, we never seen, we never seen the body. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, he could there's, come there's, back with a robot arm. Yeah, well, they're, they're, we've still seen fans that think Nedry's still running around living with the Dilophosaurs. But it sort of brings up another interesting point too. I was at a convention here locally yesterday and uh, talking to um, talking to uh, Adrian with Jurassic 4 Wheel Drive. Uh, you can check it out on Facebook. He's um, He's got a one of his cards is done up as an uh, explorer, the whole paint scheme. Mm-hmm. And um, he had that wrapped well, seven or eight years ago and now a lot of the vinyl starting to come across, come away. He uses it to go full driving and that, so it's got scratches and that on it. And he's sort of um, evolving design, putting some claw marks across the paintwork and that mm-hmm. to make it look, be a little bit more banged up. And he's going to start doing some rust details, like joints where rusty water would hang, like sort of drip down the panels and not so much to the extreme as what we see the Explorer in Fallen Kingdom. But it sort of got us talking about... Um, if if the Nublar incident didn't happen in 93, maybe Jurassic Park 3, set in 2001, eight years later, would what would the park look like? Mm-hmm. Um, explorers, like eight-year-old explorers, 
after being abused by tourists, driving along electronically with a flat tire, flat rear tire, or <laughs> windows, or the perspex bubble on top so scratched you could barely see through it, and just how much a, a worn out park would look like. Um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of always imagined that it'd be more Disney than that because i mean i'm sure you have round the clock janitors just wiping off and doing scratch detailing and and changing tires and you know a whole pit crew just ready on the clock to, uh, ready to do that you know to, uh, make yeah. sure that doesn't look like that yeah until maybe a tent started to waver or something but that's when you introduced the indominus rex <laughs> sponsored by verizon <laughs> Because it sort of uh, it sort of had us thinking too about the Jurassic Park the ride, how stuff stopped working, animatronics weren't working on that properly, and the uh, the Explorer on that stopped doing its fall down the the cliff scene that it used to do towards the start of the uh, start of its run as well. And yeah, yeah, it was just something interesting to think about and discuss. I was thinking that just I mean, let's face it, if we if we all had a Jurassic Jeep. I would find it very hard not to off-road in that thing. But, I mean, yeah. I'm going to be the first to say that. I've owned sedans my whole life, but, I mean, I've only owned two cars ever, and both were sedans, but, I mean, whatever. But I would just say that if I had a 4x4 uh, Jeep with off-road capability, that thing is going off-road. Mm. <laughs> that thing is seeing more airtime than a 747. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, head over to Jurassic-Peter.com and check out the helipad compound uh, area. Helipad compound, we, I suppose we didn't really discuss that, too. We, we mm. do see him go through that uh, that gateway mm-hmm. shortly after the paddock, whether it's uh, there to surround the helipad or whether it's just a perimeter fence to enter the herbivore area itself. So I always took that. it as the perimeter fence because um, Nedry enters... And I rather Nedry, yeah, Nedry enters the era, dinosaur paddocks through a similar gate. You know, mm. I think that I mean compound is a bit of a strong word, but it does look like it has a little a little uh, dam there next to the uh, helipad that kind of <clears throat> redirects the water away from the helipad itself. You know, mm. yeah, and it is even the real location sort of in a little canyon. So yeah, unless they're um... Well, you, I think you actually take a helicopter to the location. Yeah, yeah, you can't actually drive to the local physical location at Kauai, so mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't need to be a compound. It would only need to be a little perimeter fence there to close this section off if that's what it's for, or mm-hmm. um, as I said, just a uh, the main perimeter fence for the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, the helicopter, by helicopter, I always assume this was more the VIP entrance to the park rather than... I'm sure, because in the luncheon scene, they show a like an American Airlines uh, mm. uh, Boeing plane flying over the island, and so I'm assuming that they had an airstrip on the island and would probably have flown passengers in by airplane, you know? Yeah, well, that's especially with what we do see in the scene here where we've got uh, got workmen in neat, neat attire opening the doors for the visitors, opening the gates mm. for the visitors, it's just sort of weird and, okay, we need the mystery in the film, but there's no signage at this gate whatsoever <laughs> or no signage of the helipad saying, welcome, welcome Jurassic Park or anything else. That's going to be saved for the uh, the visitor centre and the, the mm-hmm. main gates as we enter oh, the tour also, area. 
I'd also assume that those guys are weren't aren't actually naturally posted there at that gate all the time. They're probably no. there to open and close the gate because they knew the big boss was coming in that weekend. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Which again, it is it is amazing to think that after the jeeps go through, they just sort of lock the gates and walk off screen. <laughs> and, that's, mm-hmm. and that's the last oh. we ever see. They probably had their own gas powered jeep back to the compound. You know, parked yeah. off someplace. Yeah. It also must mean that there's some sort of a, a people size gate access way through the fence as well, considering oh. they're both on separate sides. Mm-hmm. Then again, I mean, he kind of did. They kind of locked down the perimeter fence like, like a military thing. I mean, you hear the gate open, and I mean, you hear the gate close, and they lock the they lock the gate, and you hear the elect the electric hum go back into the uh, as the circuit re- recloses. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, come on over! One at a time! Alright, ready to get into Minute 63. Yeah. As we went in Minute 62 of Jurassic Park 3, Billy rescued Eric with the parachute, but were coming under attack by the flying pteranodons. In the cage catwalks, Alan, Paul, and Amanda were also facing a pteranodon of their own. As we open on Minute 63, as the adult Trinodon pushes the adults further in along the cages, Grant decides it's a good idea to try and kick it in the head. The animal squawks and lunges back at him, and Grant, Paul and Amanda turn and run. At the six second mark, Billy swoops in low over the water and tells Eric to let go, and the boy falls through the air, landing in the river below. Up above, Paul, Grant and Amanda reach the end of the catwalks, as the Trenodon enters the section with him. The extra weight is too much stress for the mounts, and the whole catwalk swings down, and everyone falls to the river below. But luckily the current carries them away from the drop zone, as the Trenodon first hits, and then the cage lands on top of it, sending it to the bottom of the river. At the 28 second mark, Billy's in trouble. Trying to steer the parachute one way or another, he ends up flying straight into the canyon wall, and the chute gets stuck on a rocky outcrop putting them in a very convenient biting height for the Tranodons. At the 49 second mark, as the Tranodons begin to circle, we cut back down the river. As Billy, as Paul, Amanda and Grant climb out of the water, soaking wet. Further downstream, Eric too climbs out of the river and points up to the canyon wall. He's up there. And this ends minute 63 of Jurassic Park 3. As we continue from last minute, the grown-ups are having their own issue with the Trenodon being pushed along the uh, catwalks by the one walking in uh, inside. And we get a great side shot here, panning along the uh, outside of the catwalk as they move inside. And we get um, we get a good look here of the uh, up close of the sort of shoulders and head mm-hmm. of the Trenodon as it's walking here. And if it's CG, it's very good. I want to say that this is the puppet that they. At some point, that they probably CG'd the wings, but they're using the body and the head section, and somebody's standing off screen holding, holding those sections of the of the actual puppet that they had built, just closing because you never actually see the head move, you only just see the wings moving, you know? Yeah, yep. Yeah, they they could have easily CG'd the rest of the animal here, mm-hmm. as um, as it walks through, walks past a mesh. Yeah. And then we uh, get a we get a um, 
back sh- a rear view from Grant's point of view, and you see him kick it. I, I like he how he kicks it in the face like he expects them to do something. He'll go away if he kicks it. <laughs> it's like, kind of like, like, like kicking a crocodile. I mean, it's not really yeah. going to go away if you kick it. It's just going to kind of piss him off. Yeah, especially when Grant's here sort of... As it's walking, it's sort of eye to eye, eye, to eye or no, it's 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 taller than Grant's, <laughs> and I know he's not, um, he's probably not a super athlete, but he's not sort of overweight as well, but I do love the fact that he can get his foot that high. To, <laughs> I was to, thinking the same thing. To I'm kick like, him in the face. Damn. <laughs> and we know, we know from behind the scenes how much they worked out and how, how physical, physically <laughs> demanding the shoot was, so... I'm sure Sam Neill was in in good health here while he was uh, was filming, but mm-hmm. um, Grant itself, especially as we see in the front of the, in the, the start of the film, where he's probably doing a lot of hotel living, <laughs> traveling around trying to find funding, and that um, <laughs> we don't we, just, we don't see a gym at that dig site anyway. But surely Billy's got something rigged there because he mm-hmm. he sort of has the uh, the physique. But um, at the same time, I mean, we remember that from. Uh, the novel that Grant was almost, oh, I mean, yeah, maybe around this age in the novel, he was an older man. He wasn't the young man that he was portrayed as in the first movie. Mm. And he was still pretty athletic. I mean, Ellie recalls a part where, or a memory where she, um, or where Grant walked back to camp on a broken leg after, and fighting, fighting coyotes and stuff on, on the way back for two days. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's um like that comes up when um once the uh, after the T Rex attack and they mm-hmm. uh, and they, they know that sort of Grant's heading back with the kids and hoping the motion sensors will find them but which is interesting to think that they're gonna go with Harrison Ford for that role where <laughs> I suppose in the nineties we're starting to get around Air Force One and that where he's mm-hmm. getting a little bit older and a little bit more gruff, but... Yeah. <laughs> that was, mm. was going to be a game I was going to play earlier on with... You imagine um, Harrison Ford, if he did play Grant, being back for the third one. <laughs> where they're in the tango and just, suck it up, kid. <laughs> just, Get just off sort of... my island. <laughs> <laughs> Even on the... Who hit me on the plane? <laughs> It'd be interesting going through some of the lines, the dialogue he's got in here, and they're sort of doing it in the in the Harrison Ford voice, or as Harrison <laughs> Ford. Um, uh, but the uh, the kick to the head doesn't deter the turn it on at all, which is understandable. Kick a dog in the face, it's still going to grout you and come at you. Mm-hmm. But um, we cut the Billy flying with Eric, and uh, Eric's got him around the neck <laughs> rather tightly, which. Could again be a little bit of a callback to uh, Lex around Grant, although we don't get the "you're choking me" <laughs> and the and the, the um, struggling for breath here like we do in Jurassic Park. But um, Billy t- yells to let go, and Eric sort of looks down and drops to the water without much uh, hesitation. And we see here they must be fairly close to the water, even though um, I don't think Eric fell straight or the stuntman fell straight because he nearly hits the water <laughs> in a belly flop. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and again here we we get a good look up at the uh, the roof of the aviary here which I still uh, all these shots I still wouldn't be able to sketch 
what these crossbeams are meant to look like because <laughs> they sort of change as we get different shots, different shots of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, these large steel beams with it doesn't look like there's any walkway or anything across them to for maintenance and that. So no. Up above, um, Amanda and Paul come back to that opening section that Paul stopped at earlier uh, last minute, and um, as they sort of stop, we get this whole section here shake as well as they mm-hmm. um, stop dead in their tracks, and the, the pteranodon continues to follow them. We cut down yeah, sort of section. This- yeah, you get this undershot of, of the Toronodon bearing down on them. And you can see it looks like the section is starting to come away more. And you can mm-hmm. also see the struts that have already broken away the from the piece that had already broken away that where that gap was. And it's, sort of, it's, it's good. It just adds more dimension here. We do get this low shot looking up um, as the cage is shaking and, yeah, those struts sort of pulling away, starting to pull away from the wall and uh, the, the weight of them sort of in it, um, the the end section of the cage anyway, the mounts break free and we sort of get the swing down here and although it's not as much in the film, in the uh, the script and the novel, it's sort of, it goes a lot more similar to the uh, the RV sequence from, um, from The Lost World where it swings down there inside it but uh, in the novel and the script because the Tramadon's on top of this section and at the bottom end, they're sort of hanging from the top section. If they fall, or if they move down any further, the is going to be able to bite them. Like, it's below them mm-hmm. at this stage. Um, but not here. Where they uh, they sort of fall down as it swings down, and um, all three of them fall out <laughs> at the bottom. And, again, land in water below, which is lucky. This, um, these canyon walls seem to be so sheer that... Uh, the water's right to the side of it here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're lucky because, again, some of the loca- some of the spots that we had seen of the um, of where the water meets the canyon, we see that the canyon itself kind of um, uh, juts out at the. It's got something of a small shoreline, you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, especially when we get some of the aerial shots looking down here. Um, we get some sections of the uh, the stream or the river below that's rather shallow with rocks in it, and then the other sections here where it must have pulled a little bit, and the water's growing uh, like right to the uh, canyon wall. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of it, it is interesting here too, and I we'll get to it as we start getting into some of these minutes. At this stage, they've gone pretty much as deep into the canyon in the section as they can go. They're only about. 50 feet or something from where those rock outcrops were and when Eric looked over the side of that he's seen water below as well so there must be a large large sort of natural lake here at the very end of the uh, canyon but it's just odd that I think and after uh, rejog my memory when we get to these future minutes when they all come out of the water they're seemingly at the back at the dome again <laughs> and at the, at the bottom end of the canyon mm-hmm. um, I mean they all make it to the bottom eventually one way or another yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I'll even here too. Like as they've been, as they left the um, observation platform and sort of ran this way, the cages never seem to have changed elevation at all. Yet, when Grant and that tried to go down that first, that second flight of stairs, and the cage dropped away, it sounded like it was a good hundred, two hundred feet above the water. Where here, they're thirty, forty feet above the water, mm. and can fall into it. Um, they surface and take a breath and. Uh, 
behind them we see the animal fall into the water as well, which again something here that's not really explained. It is explained a lot more in the uh, in the script of the novel, where as, as soon as they hit the water, the current's taken them away really quickly. Mm. Um, but yeah, the cage falls in after the pteranodon does, and it, mm. the pteranodon you can kind of see it like trying to take off in the water, but its wings appear appear to be too wet, and it just doesn't make it and the the rest of the cage falls on top of it as it comes off the edge of the rock and i imagine it probably broke the wings you know mm. i mean well, that turn is going to drown yeah it is seemingly getting elevation like it is very slowly getting getting away from the water surface even with its um with its wet wings but with um like we uh, we mentioned back with Jay when he was on when we were talking all about the Tranodons, just how um, how fragile the, the wings are with the, mm-hmm. the vertebrae and the the um, like the skin skin cover and that this steel cage, no matter how old, how rusty, how fatigued it is, it falling 30, 40 feet or whatever it is onto the animal, then pushing that animal into the water. I, it wouldn't have. I don't think it would have killed the animal. And once it gets under the water and to the bottom, it might have had enough buoyancy to be able to move the cage but I definitely mm-hmm. don't think it'd be able to fly again but it's not it's not supposed to either it's not as even though they're um a little bit more monstrous in that in their design and actions it's not it's not meant to be a, a stalker or a, or a um serial killer where here we think it's dead and next minute it's going to come back to mm-hmm. kill them there's more there's an, more animals here in the uh in the aviary that's going to do that for us yeah Grant uh, Grant takes a moment to watch the cage sink and take the Trinidad on with it before he uh, turns and starts swimming towards shore. And as we said before, it's interesting, <laughs> this section may be a game because they're being carried by the current a little bit. They're able to go from this section where there is no shore to another section where there is a shoreline they can climb out, out of the water onto. Mm-hmm. But up up above, Billy's uh, <laughs> having some trouble of his own. Um this sort of parachute gets hung up on a bit of a rock outcrop and he uh, gets sent, not so much as in the uh, script, but he does hit the Kenya wall here pretty hard. Yeah, it does, and wham, right into the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) And even, like, we had the whole whole thing at the start where he's pretty much gone through this whole situation before in New Zealand. Just mm-hmm. then, it was the uh, the strap of the the lucky pack that held him up on the wall, and not the uh, not the parachute. But um, I do love the visuals here. of sort of him hanging from this uh, this set, and even as we cut back, as the turnovers begin to circle high above, mm-hmm. um, it does look good. And we get a brief shot here as they are circling of the uh, seemingly another little stream coming into this canyon. Yes, I saw that in the um, picture you shared with me. It looks almost like we get uh, one of the, uh, like a cut, like a second of the stream cuts, and we get a small island there at the middle of the aviary. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we don't get a lot of <laughs> a lot of shots of it, but um, there is a, like a, the rock does come up to divide the two, which, could suggest that stream comes in from somewhere else or there might be just a finger of rock in the middle here as an island but in the um again looking at the the production uh, map of the aviary while the uh the area where the nesting site that is is the end of the main canyon there is a stream that comes off 
mm-hmm. to the side of it, and this could be it. But the only problem with that is where Billy's hanging would have to be above the uh, the cage the cage catwalk somewhere that they ran up <laughs> to get to that back section. And as we look down here, there's nothing on the wall at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it may also... I mean, this to be fair, that production map is just a map of where the various... Um, where the various sets that they're building are supposed to line up, and I don't think it's an actual, a true representation of the final um, CGI'd uh, aviary would look, you know? No, no, it's just, it's all we got. <laughs> Give me a little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, especially when we get to the domed end at, a little bit later, and um, this whole scene, we've seen them flying and just seen the the roof or the, the top of the aviary just to, um, disappear off into the distance where it's, it almost seems like this uh, this canyon's a mile long. <laughs> mm. um, I know it does. I mean, this is, seems like the there's the front of the aviary, and then what I think it is is that it's just a stream that cuts through it into the main canyon that leads them out to the and to the uh, rescue spot. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll definitely definitely talk more about that when we get to the uh that entrance out into the uh the river mm-hmm. but um billy's trying in vain to get his shoe unstuck holding on the straps and trying to shake it and get it to become untangled which almost might be in vain here <laughs> even if uh if the the parachute sort of slides off or becomes unfree i don't think it's going to be able to do much from now on so we cut down to the uh, adults as they start to climb out of the river and mm-hmm. Eric does too in a separate location and looks up at Billy hanging from the cliff and as the minute ends we get a shot up from down below as the uh, pterangons continue to circle which puts, it a, puts him at a very convenient biting height. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think with the pterangons any sort of height's a convenient biting height. Um, mm-hmm. True. Uh, Except for, of course, uh, closer to the water. You know? Yeah, yep which might be the one thing that saves his life a little bit later. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we get this low shot of him and the Trinodons come in and I gotta say, it's really, it's a really, really spectacular uh, composition how the scene looks. Cause you just had the clouds wafting in through the canyon and the waterfalls and the little bits of waterfall, um, going down the canyon walls and you can see the stacks of the volcanic, uh, rock along the canyon, you know. Mm. Even just the green mold on, it, and we've we've said many a time <laughs> during this uh, minute series, if there's a stream in the shot, <laughs> it's a set. And here we have uh, water running down the canyon walls near Billy, and that there is one shot here where it uh, it probably is CG. Um, just as the uh, the parachute gets stuck on that rock outcrop, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a waterfall off to its left there, but. Mm-hmm. No, the the wide shot here, uh, where this closing shot for this minute, is um, CG. But the shot of the actual, uh, of um, like for example, uh, P- Paul and Amanda and Eric all climbing out. That was done on on the set for um, that they built a big long um, narrow set for the canyon, and mm. we'll share pictures of that, of course, if we haven't already. Yeah, yeah. That um, as 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 cool as the uh, redressing the operations building into the en- en- embryonics administration 
uh, set was, like what they'd done with the uh, the canyon, mm-hmm. <laughs> just the scale of what yeah, they built. Was, it was massive and it looks really great and impressive. Yeah. But now that you actually bring up that, I actually, sorry, it's tangent time, <laughs> but I read recently and I saw a picture, the embryonic set gone, completely gone. <gasps> Everything they, it's just, it's just. They have the pool there with the waterfall, and it looks like they added a picnic area for employees, but that's it. Nothing left. Oh, no. I know. Which I suppose, it's we've been seeing photos of its continuing disrepair, and at the latest photos I've, I've seen and got are pretty much the only structure still standing is the, uh, the concrete base of the tower and the uh, helipad. Not anymore. So, yeah. Not even, even that's I'd there. Photos, I'd seen photos of even the staircase net leading up the uh, the front of the building had completely collapsed inwards as well, which really was one the, of the staircase last... too. Yeah, yeah, all at the front where the um, where the doors are. That was all mm-hmm. imploded. I've, I've some, put some photos right. up, but um, which I always thought that the landings they built the structure on were concrete, and that's the reason they've lasted twenty years or twenty three years, but. No, it's gone as well, and yeah, if, if what you're saying is true, then they've gone in and sent the uh, equipment in and bulldozed it, returned mm-hmm. it to its uh, how it was before before they moved in in '96. Damn, that's a shame. Yep. So now, really, the uh, the only the single only last set from the film franchise at all is the uh, Indominus set on on uh, Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Everything else is gone. Yep. That's sad. Not to uh, brighten the mood much more, we're moving over to the <laughs> script and novel comparisons. Um, we've still got some uh, stuff here where, um, as I said earlier, when the uh, Tronodon lands on top of the cage section, it sort of rams its head down through the, uh, the mesh to try and get him. It doesn't actually break down into the, uh, into the catwalk itself, but the weight becomes too much for the catwalk and it breaks away from the wall at one end and swings down, and that's where it's sort of hanging to the outside cage as they're all hanging inside trying not to uh, go down in lower and get closer to its jaws or jaws <laughs> to its beak as it's well it's got teeth um as it's sort of trying to snap at them and with the um with the parasail damaged from the on last minute billy sort of swoops in low so he can let eric safely drop to the water below but the uh the, the parachute's definitely damaged and he tries to gain altitude, but swings hard to the right. But the uh, rigging's too badly damaged and pretty much <laughs> flies straight into that canyon wall, which would have been uh, would have been a little interesting in the in the film. It's sort of he swings around and it, it comes down on that rocky outcrop, and he does swing into the to the canyon wall a bit. But in the uh, in the script, if he'd sort of 
tried to swing left and went right straight into the wall, it'd be like uh, <laughs> it'd be like the episode of Stunt School and Bad I was watching last night, where a lot of people were falling off uh, bicycles and skateboards and just no uh, no cushioning of the face as it slammed into cement. <laughs> I'll say. But uh, then after they lose their grip, the three adults fall past the animal, and luckily, as they fall, it's not hasn't got its head in the mesh and fall down the river below and are immediately carried away by the current, which does explain why uh, in the film, when the Trinodon falls and then when the cage falls, they're nowhere near it, but it doesn't really explain why we all fall in the middle of the lake and not really close to the wall. But we also don't get the cage fall free in the uh, script either. The um, we, we sort of don't see the animal again, it's sort of up, up uh, hanging from the cages, the others fall into the water and immediately carried away and we don't see we don't see the cage fall we don't see the trinodon fall in the script or the novel which is interesting but then up on the uh, canyon wall where Billy's um, become stuck the other two adults sort of land on um, separate ledges of the canyon wall and sort of sit there and look at Billy judging the best way to attack their prey which as cool as the uh, them circling is if they'd sort of landed <laughs> either side of him and just done that um, cocking one eye or something like we do see later. <laughs> I reckon it would have looked pretty uh, pretty scary as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Paul Paul and Amanda sort of climb out of the water and they find their son <laughs> hiding behind a rock nearby. Um, obviously the whole the whole nesting sequence then falling from Billy into the water it sort of took its toll emotionally on Eric and he's uh, took a moment to hide behind a rock. <laughs> But um, that's minute 63. Mm-hmm. David, anything else you want to bring up before we get heavy for the week? Yeah, I think we're good. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is drasticminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are we on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks and it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries now what john hammond and ingen did at jurassic park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters nothing more and nothing less Uh, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto isla sorna and study them if you have the chance no force on earth or heaven could get me on that island Your desk. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur man!